time, I think it was a couple weeks ago, uh, we saw a great time of fellowship in here in Nehemiah chapter 13. Um, it's not going to be really a celebratory <laughs> chapter whatsoever. You'd think that the book, and you want the book to end on a high note. But honestly, it really doesn't. It ends on a, on a bad note. And I, one of the things I appreciate about the Bible is that it's honest. I get tired of sanitized news where it doesn't really report the, the full story. And in this book, uh, we see at the end of this book that it doesn't really end in a way that you might expect. We saw last time them celebrating. We saw the, the, the Jews celebrating their great victory of the Lord building the wall using them and them persevering through many, many attacks. How many of you have been blessed by just going seeing Nehemiah through all this whole situation? Well, there's most of you. There's a few of you that are still thinking about it, but I know that you're really blessed, but you're so blessed you can't raise your hand about it. Uh, but it's... It saved me a lot during this time. Saved my hiney a handful of times uh, looking, going and being immersed in this book and so forth. And so we see them celebrating. They were dealing with the fact that last time of who's going to live in Jerusalem. And they cast lots, trusting that the Lord would work through that to show who's supposed to live inside the city. They couldn't all live inside the city walls. And those that the lot fell on, they, they submitted to that and followed um, what the Lord had said for them to do. And then we see this, we saw this massive, massive Thanksgiving choir, two of them that were broken up, that basically marched on top of the city wall in opposite directions and met together. And it just completely just, the whole thing was just speaking of victory, 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 victory. There, this Thanksgiving choir. And so the enemies had said that if a fox got on the wall, that wall would crumble. And I'm sure that Nehemiah thought about that when he had them all get on top of the wall and march and in victory and all of that. Not a fox, but two Thanksgiving choirs are going to march on this wall. And the fact that we're not falling is a testimony not to us, but a testimony to the Lord. Because his good hand has been upon it the whole entire time. And we were told, as we saw, Nehemiah was at the back of the choir, one of them. He was at the back of one of the choirs. I'm sure just taking it all in, seeing all those people rejoicing and singing and all of that. And, and, and just enjoying it. Enjoying God's faithfulness. Enjoying God's uh, victory. Because really it was his victory. Having God's good hand being upon them. And I'm sure that he thought and hoped the people would always stay true to the Lord. I mean, especially in light of all that he had done, how could they not stay true to him? How could they not serve him and obey him and, and all those things? After all that he has done, well, time went by. See, there's a gap between chapter 12 and chapter 13. There's about an 8 to 12 year gap there between the two chapters. And Nehemiah had been there for most of that time, had been there for most of before, there, before he wrote these events, but there was a time where he left and he came back and there were some things that happened while he was gone and that's when everything kind of went sideways. Such a, such a need for good leaders. Because Nehemiah has, had uh, dispatched and entrusted and delegated good leaders when he had left, but they didn't do their job. They didn't lead the people. They compromised. They didn't speak up. And so because of that, bad things happened, and the people were allowed to disobey. So Nehemiah had been there for a while, but then he went back, uh, and then he came back, uh, and then he saw this, this whole bad situation that we'll, we'll see. The people started to compromise and it ended up in complete rebellion. And that's kind of how it works with us, isn't it? Where, you know, we, we make little compromises. Oh, you know, it's not a big deal. It's situationally, it just kind of is justified that I do this thing. 
and then well that makes it a little bit easier the second time and then before you know it that thing's a regular thing that I do and then because of that it makes it easier to do this and I start doing this and then I stop being a part of church for a little bit and then all of a sudden I'm meeting some people that I'd never met before that have all this encouragement for me to do this other thing whoa to do this other thing and before before I know it I'm really backslidden and then before I know it I can if I'm not if I don't do the things that I need to do to make a u-turn I'm in complete rebellion, not even trying whatsoever to follow Christ, and my life doesn't look like a Christian whatsoever, and nobody would know I was a Christian if I asked them. They would never, they'd be shocked that I was a, see, that just, just doesn't happen overnight. That happens slowly of compromise, and that's where the danger of getting off obeying God comes in, because we think it doesn't really harm anything, it's not that big of a deal, but the thing is, where it leads, and how the enemy works with that disobedience to set up situations where it's easier for me to do the wrong thing as a result of it, and I'm playing right into his hand. You know, Paul the Apostle said that we are not ignorant of the enemy's devices, and so we need to know that most of the time, all of this has, begins with our flesh, our sinful nature, but then the enemy compounds and adds on to it. And so it's just this process. So Nehemiah comes back, as we'll see, and there's, there's just complete rebellion going on. Just, just complete rebellion. And you can imagine that he's just shocked and grieved by it. And so what he does is he brings all of that to a halt, like you would hope a good leader would. He brings all of it to a halt in ways that are unconventional, surely ways that we wouldn't do it today, uh, and especially towards the end of the chapter there. But you see his passion and his boldness and his desire, and he had um, this calling to lead the people and, and put things back according to God's word, because God's word's the standard. It doesn't matter what this world says. It doesn't matter how many people think this such and such thing or this behavior or this way of doing things or this particular area of sin or whatever is acceptable now and there's supreme court rulings on it and there's it's just commonplace we see it everywhere doesn't change this book doesn't change this book jesus said that the heaven and the earth will disappear or fall away or or you know cast away or whatever but my word will never pass away his word is going to stand. And we need to know as disciples ahead of time, how bad is it? are we willing to let things happen around us before we start taking a stand, not just for our own lives, but in the lives of others and be bold and, and not just be silent and quiet while this world gets worse and worse. See, we're called to be salt and light. That means at times we're called to speak up for what's right and what's true. Yes, we'll take a hit for it. Nehemiah is not going to be a popular guy in this chapter. And we can't go, just think of, just think of Nehemiah poll tested all these things that we're going to see. <laughs> just think if he poll tested and was worried about the approval of man. You know, Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, if I was concerned about the approval of man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. Because those two things, most of the time, are mutually exclusive. Jesus said and warned us, beware when all men speak well of you. When you have a 90% approval rating, you're in trouble, according to the kingdom of God. But that's what people shoot for. How high can I get my approval ratings? And we do that in our own lives, don't we? We, we want high approval ratings with people in our spheres of influence. We want people to like us. All of us do. But we have to stand up for the truth and have our life look different. Uh, not for the sake of being different, but for the sake of being like Christ. So I want to say, and I know we haven't started yet, and we have a lot to go, I understand. That if you're here today and you've drifted away from the Lord and you, and you don't come to a screeching stall, a stop today, you don't know what tomorrow brings or later today brings. And we have to wreck there as an amen. And we have to recognize from the mouth of babes. Uh, we have to recognize that if we don't take this seriously, that we're, we, our very lives are in danger. You know, the enemy plays for keeps. He doesn't come and say, hey, I'm Satan, and I want to destroy your life. He comes very deceitfully. And that's why we have to stay close to one another, stay close to this word. There are people that used to be among us. Their lives are a disaster now 
because they got away from God's word, because they played around the edges, because they compromised in small ways, and then pretty soon faithfulness started to go, and then before you know it, they, their whole, their, their, everything's gone in their life. That can happen so fast, and it's, God wants to wake us up and give us a wake-up call. You are not going to be the exception to the rule. If you play with fire, you're going to get burned, and I, I'm speaking to myself too. We have to stay very close to the Lord, and we have to open up our heart to these verses today and ask ourselves, Lord, it's not just that I agree with you on this. Am I obeying you in this? And, and, and see what the Holy Spirit's going to reveal to us. He's going to deal with the mixed multitude that's among them. He's going to cleanse the temple. They're misusing the temple. He's going to deal with um, Jewish pagan marriages, and he's going to deal with people not giving to the work of the Lord, which I'm not going to pound. You don't have to worry about. I'm just covering these verses. But I mean, he's dealing with a lot of things. So let's start on verse, in verse 1 here. Verse 1, on that day they read the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 4, we're told this, because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Penthor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Now, verse 2 echoes this. Look at verse 2. Kind of like as if they're quoting Deuteronomy. Because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into blessing, into a blessing. But it was when they heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Excuse me. (coughs) The mixed multitude has always been a problem in the history of God's people. There were unbelievers that came from Egypt that came with them into the wilderness. And that continued all the way into they were in the land and all of that, and they had all these, all these people. Now, on the surface, it may look like this, it's, this is race-related. It's not race-related at all. It has to do with what God they're serving. They had people from other nations that would come in, and they would at first be a God-fearer, and then once they want to take that next step, they become circumcised and start obeying the feasts and all of that, and they become a full-on proselyte. It has nothing to do with race. It has to do with where they were spiritually. And what's true back then related to the danger of us yoking with uh, unbelie- uh, unbelievers is true for, for them back, as, there, back then as well. We have to be careful about trying to have fellowship with unbelievers. Now we have to live in this world and we we have, can have, what are you saying? We can't have friends that are unbelievers. No, I'm not saying any of that. There's a difference between having a friendship and having a relationship and having fellowship with somebody. And we have to have our main staple, so to speak, of relationships be believers to build us up, to get us stronger, all of that to not be temp- tempting for us to go the other way and all of that. But we still have to reach out. We still have to be around unbelievers. Jesus was a, called a friend of sinners. They loved being around him. But the difference was that Jesus was not the one that was influenced when he was around them. They were the one that was influenced. And if we're not strong enough yet in our faith to be the influencer, then we have no business being around those people. But there will come a time as we grow that we will be able to, in limited amounts, be able to be around people enough to be able to share our faith. And to not be negatively influenced. God wants us to to reach out and be salt and light. But you can't have contact without it affecting you. You know, related to unbelievers. You have to recognize that. And you can't fellowship with your past and their present all at the same time. Because they want to talk about the past. With all the stuff that you used to be about when they're in the context of living out those same things and we can't act like that was that past was a is an acceptable way to live because it wasn't if we're honest with them if we pretend like it's it wasn't acceptable way to live living away living in willful disobedience to god and sinning and all those things then we're, we're not being honest because it, it that wasn't an okay way to live we're living in rebellion to god separated from a relationship with him so we we you know we have to 
understand, I'm not talking, so I'm not talking about reaching out. I'm not talking about having outreach. I'm talking about being a weak believer and being, having most of our influences be unbelievers. If you're here and that's you, you're not growing how God wants you to grow and you're in danger of going even further the other direction. You know, I heard one teacher say one time, you can't, if you set a German shepherd out with a bunch of, a pack of wolves, are the wolves going to be influenced and become like a German shepherd that's, you know, that's tame? Or is the German shepherd going to become more like the wolves? Probably more like the wolves. That's how it is. Scripture tells us that evil company corrupts good morals. And it doesn't say that once you have known Christ for a certain amount of time, that's no longer applicable. It's still true. You can walk with the Lord 60 years. If Billy Cram was around unbelievers all the time and, and everything, he would be influenced. They'd get saved, probably, and then we would take care of that issue, probably. But, um, you know, anybody, there's nobody that's, that's immune from, from being influenced negatively from unbelievers. Now, uh, Nehemiah here, we're about to see him deal with Tobiah and later the priest Elisha. So Tobiah, you remember him, he's the one that's always chirping and always saying stuff that's not right and trying to um, mess things up. He's been allowed to move into the very temple of the Lord. And there's going to, Nehemiah is going to be part of a cleansing of the temple. He's going to completely drive him out. Look at verse 4. Now before this, Elisha, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the offerings for the priests. So this is a room handed over to, to one that's been used by the enemy of the Lord. And it's that those rooms weren't to be put on Airbnb. You know, this guy is like trying to rent out, uh, you know, the temple here, this priest here. And it, it's absolutely forbidden, completely forbidden. You know, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God's called us to be holy. He's called us to be the people that, that are different in the sense that we are like Jesus and we're not like this world. A good test whether or not we're going the right direction is, are we becoming more and more like the world or are we becoming more and more like Jesus? And if we're becoming more and more like Jesus, then we're going the right direction. And, and so our temple, we're, listen, what, listen what 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 uh, and 20 say about our, our temple here. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I'll repeat the last part. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we have to glorify God in everything that we do with our bodies, with our spirits and all of that. And he says that we are God's. We belong to God himself. Another place he said we've been bought with a price. So we've been purchased. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. Maybe that's not your idea of Christianity. Maybe you are in the dark a little bit about what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is someone who has surrendered their life to Christ, who is a follower of Christ. Now, God knows that we're not going to be perfect. He knows that we're going to fall short. He knows that we're going to sin. He knows all those things, but he wants us to be growing in holiness and all of that, and he wants our bodies to bring him glory. And so when we sin against our body, especially the scripture says sexually, then, then it's like uniting Christ with a prostitute, we're told in scripture. And we're sinning against his temple. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13 tells us this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of righteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So he said, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. We can't let it reign there. 
We have victory in Christ. We have the power by the Holy Spirit to say no. So practically speaking, what's that look like? It, it looks like this. When you're being tempted and you know that you should do not do something or you're being tempted to not do something good that you're supposed to do. There's two different ways of sinning in that way. You need to submit your life to the Lord right there and pray. And ask the Lord, Lord, help me. I'm being tempted to do this. Maybe call a friend and get prayer. Another brother or sister in Christ. But God's called us to not sell out our temple. Because it wasn't designed to be used for any other purpose. And there's a lot of things that we can say, well, you know, they're not that bad. If you were to look at renting this out, I don't know if he was renting it or, or if he was just letting him stay there in this in the temple, the storeroom there, you, he could probably made a case why that was a good thing. Maybe he was hurting or I don't know. But that's not why the temple rooms were made. The temple rooms were made for a specific purpose. Just like we were made for a specific purpose as believers when we came to know Christ and we became a new creation. We weren't made to compromise and submit our, our members over to, to sinning. That was not why he um, made us born again. Verse 6. But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king. And I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil. Notice he says the evil. He just says what it is. Now, how many people knew that that was evil or would describe it there in the city as evil? This guy staying in the storeroom and all these other things, probably not many. But it took a godly leader to acknowledge what it really was and to speak it boldly and say, this is evil that Elisha had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. I don't know if you saw this, but this evil was done to Tobiah. By letting him do this. So that it wasn't just affecting, you know, just the people of the Lord having a bad example there. It also affected Tobiah himself. Verse 8. And it grieved me bitterly. That's what sin should do in us. It should grieve us bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. <laughs> I love this. No 30-day notice. You know, eviction. Let's talk it out. Let's make sure he has another place. Nothing. He should know better than this. Absolutely not. I don't want this to be in here. One more second. It's out. Righteous indignation there. Hatred for sin. Threw the goods out. Verse 9. Then I commanded them to clean, cleanse the rooms. He's saying, get me the Lysol. Get me the, let's just clean this thing. Let's set it apart. I'm sure it's ritually and you know, all those things, you know, related to ceremonial cleanness and all the things to have the temple set apart and everything. But I'm sure that there was, I mean, he's a guy, you know, it's not like we're neat freaks, most of us, you know, but they wanted it to cleanse the rooms and all of that. Now, notice it says rooms because he didn't, he didn't, to my knowledge, doesn't, doesn't, he wasn't in a, just a bunch of rooms. He's in one room, but he wants all the rooms set apart there. Continuing verse nine, and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. So let's put this back how it's supposed to be. Let's put it back into order. Just how I left it. If I wanted this to be a, a room for rent, I would have told somebody, and more importantly than all of that, God would have told somebody that he wanted it for this purpose, but he didn't. Imagine Tobiah coming home that night. His stuff's out. They probably didn't leave it out in that area, but he's opening up the grain and all this stuff that's in there. Wait a minute, this was my pad. You know, this is my, my crib. And now look what all the stuff's in here. What happened and all of that? No notice whatsoever. That's right, no notice. You're in the temple of God misusing it. And you were used by the enemy to try to wreak havoc on this whole thing with the wall and everything. Now in verse 10, Nehemiah is going to start to deal with the tithes and offerings. He says, and I also realized, verse 10, that the portions of the Levites had not been given them for each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So these Levites and singers went back to work because the people weren't giving what they were supposed to. The leaders weren't leading in this way. They were supposed to be, of course, encouraged and reminded and given a place for all that. They stopped doing that. 
and then they had to make something else work for them. So they went out and started working in the fields and all of that. Remember in chapter 10, remember their commitment to do this? They committed to supplying for the needs of the house of God. They committed to all these things. They, they committed to, to serving him in, in, in all the things that they were dealing with. In every way to follow the law. They stood for hours, six hours each day for two days, hearing the law and repenting. And you know, where, where is all that? See, that's the thing. We can have the greatest intentions and we can make changes. We can repent and all of that. But if we don't stay close to him on a daily basis we can end up as if we never, ever made those commitments ever again. And I'm, my Lord's leaning heavily on my heart for us to continue to think about how we are doing as a disciple, where are we obeying, where are we disobeying, what changes that we need to make, and all of that. And, and it's important. It grieves the heart of God when we get off and we start disobeying him and we start doing our own thing. Verse 11. So I contended, and we're going to see that word contended over and over again. It literally means to strive with a loud voice, to yell, basically, to raise your voice in boldness. I, I raised my voice with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Now, set them in their place. He's not talking about I put them in their place, that, that what we say about kind of you know, verbally putting them in their place. He's talking about, I positioned them to where they should be to take care of, of, of the house of God and it, so that it won't be forsaken. You know, I, I, I hold leaders accountable for so many things. I hold myself accountable. Leaders have to lead. And if leaders aren't leading, then people that are supposed to be following are scattered and they're not doing the things that they're called to do. Verse 12. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. So they, they responded. All of Judah, they brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And, and Malachi was in this time period as well. And so a lot of times we, pastors especially, will read Malachi 3. And I want to do it in a minute. But we don't, they don't, a lot of times they don't quote the context here. But this is what the context is. He's dealing with the same type of situation. Malachi verse 3, verses 8 through 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Try me now. So he doesn't say that very often, if at all, besides here. That there will be no, um, not be enough room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the, the, the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will, be called, will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of of hosts same situation they're robbing god and they need to be faithful with this and so forth and and again i'm not going to get into all the giving and everything we've done that i think recently through a passage or whatever but issue is that we have to do everything that we're called to do and you know we recognize there's been much abuse in the church related to this we want to stay as far away from that we want to make sure that we remind people that god doesn't need our money but he set it up for this in this way so that we can participate in what he's doing and it also gives a little bit away of our selfishness every time that we do that and it also is an expression of faith to him that he'll take care of us so he always assures us we don't give to get that's false teaching but he does give us this promise that he's going to bless us as a safety net so that we can trust him in doing the thing that he is leading us to do very important there's so much that the church could do more if God's people obeyed the Lord in this and I exhort myself verse 13 and I appointed as treasurers over the storehouse Shelemiah the priest of Zadok the scribe and of the Levites Pedadiah and, and next to him was Hanan the son of Zakur the son of Matthianai for they were considered faithful and their task was to contribute or distribute rather to their brethren so notice the qualifications there faithfulness 
not charismatic, not good looking, not, you know, from a great family line, none of those things. What, what Nehemiah and God all through scripture and especially in the New Testament with the Lord Jesus, what he's looking for is faithfulness, faithfulness. It should be found in stewards that they should be faithful, Paul said. So that's the key. It's faithfulness. Verse 14, remember me, O oh my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. And remember me, it's not like God forgets, but remember me means, literally it means, think upon me, consider me. He's wanting to have God consider him and he doesn't, I'm sure he's thinking in some sense, I don't want to be held count for this, I was gone, you know, but he knew that God knew that. But he's wanting him to see what he's doing, wanting to highlight, look what I'm doing for you. Look how I'm setting it in order. I'm calling your people back to obedience. Don't ever get mad at a leader when you're convicted of something who's exhorting you to do something in God's word. They're doing it because they care about God, they love God, and they love you. And the best thing that you could, they could ever do for you and for me is to remind us to obey him and to call us into account for things. Doesn't mean they're the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean that they do it harshly. I know all that. But don't ever, no matter what, where you're at, whatever leader is trying to exhort you and trying to correct you, the best way, the most healthy way to deal with that is to, is to be in humility and to take that before the Lord, what they say, and recognize that they're, they're doing something in expression of love. Okay. Verse 15. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the, about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also, who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. So not, that, not only were they selling on the Sabbath, but they were buying on the Sabbath. And people from Tyre, that's the north, the north uh, west coast there, up on above above uh, Israel. They were they knew that they were doing this, and so they were coming down and selling their stuff. And they were waiting outside, and they were taking uh, they were being involved in all of this as well. And then he says something. I love how he, he just completely tells the truth in verse 17. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah. Now these are the leaders now. The nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Again, he calls it evil. I mean, to them, like, come on, it's not a big deal. We're just working. It's just, you know, we're, we rest in our own way. I have this little thing I worked out with the Lord and there's this little exception that he's made for me because I'm made differently. He knows I don't need this rest and so he, he's okay with it because I rest on, on, you know, just for a few hours and I'm good. And no, not at all. What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? The word profane means to make something common. So to make something that's just special to be... Um, normal or or typical verse 18 did not your fathers do thus and did not our bring our god bring all this disaster on us and and on the city yet you you bring added wrath on israel by profaning the sabbath see for 490 years they hadn't kept the sabbath that's why they got they were judged in part their idolatry was another part of that but that's why they went into babylon in the first place Every seven years, they're supposed to rest, let their land rest and take a year off. Just think of that. You get a year off every seven years. How many would you before that? I would love that. Every seven years, take a year off. They didn't do it. And they didn't do it all those years. And so God said, I'm going to get back those Sabbath years. I'm going to get them back. I'm going to rest that land because I'm going to bring you into Babylon in addition to you serving idols and all of that. So the whole reason why they ever got brought out of that land in the first place they're violating it right now and he's saying don't you remember why we got kicked out of this place in the first place and now you're doing it again tempting the lord of course it's evil verse 19 so it was at the gates of jerusalem as it began to be dark before the sabbath that i commanded the gates to be shut 
and charged that they must not be open until after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath, which is a very practical decision. Let's shut this whole thing down. I'm going to order those gates shut, and then there won't be able to, they won't be able to trade and, and to buy things and sell things and all of that. Very practical. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. <laughs> then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. Whoa, Nehemiah. This isn't how we would lay hands and pray for somebody. He's getting, he's like, you don't need to get out of here or else something's going to happen to you and all of that. And so, you know, scram, beat it. And it says, from that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. They got the message. Verse 22. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. So he's like, don't, don't punish me for this, God. I'm the one that helped put this all back in order and all of that. This is when I was gone, you know, and everything. And he, so he says, you guys remember that Sabbath day. Be aware of, of these things and obey what he has said. Don't tempt the Lord. Verse 23. In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod. This is all um, Ashdod that has to do with the Philippine, uh, Philippines, the Ph- Philistines, and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one of the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them, and pulled out their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons nor take their daughters for the son, your sons or yourselves. So when he's talking about cursing here, he's not saying profanity at them. He's reminding them of the curse from Deuteronomy. It says if you live according to these things, you'll be blessed. If you disobey these things, there's a curse that's upon you. And again, I'm not vouching at all for striking someone or pulling out their beards or anything like that, but this is a different culture. They, they handle things differently and all of that, you know. but I'm not advocating doing that of course but the, the what you do see is his passion to take things and and take care of things as best as he knows how to do it in his mind that's the best way to do it um and i'm sure they got the message again it's not a racial thing this has to do with the god that they're serving and so the correlation for us is unbelievers not being yoked with unbelievers we're not to be um yoked in relationships with un, unbelievers in any way Verse 26, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? And I love the fact that he brings up Solomon because he's not trying to sanitize the history. He's, he's you know, a king of Israel, David's son. And, he's, and he uses him as an example of how, how not to be. Yet among many nations, there were no king like him who was beloved, beloved of his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused it, even him to sin. Those pagan women. They'll get you. You think you're smart? Okay. You're not smarter than Solomon. And Solomon, in all of his greatness, and was a great king, we're told that in the middle of verse 26, no king like him. Pagan women took him down in that way. And so you have to understand that you're not above being tempted, no matter how strong you think you are, no matter how smart you think you are, or spiritually you think you are. It doesn't matter. You're not above it. And that's the deception. We're told in the New Testament to, to be humble in that way, to, to, to take heed lest we fall, you know, to, to recognize we're all at risk. We have to put up those guards and we think, oh, you know what, I've go, gone so long without falling or sinning in this particular area, I can put my guard down. I don't need all the safeguards anymore. I'm good. You're not good. We're not good. I'm not good. We have to put those guards up and keep them there because they will provide opportunities for us to sin you know malachi caused called these women here these types of women he called them the daughters of the false gods he's literally saying their offspring of these false gods are these women they're so entrenched and this is how the children of israel fell earlier you know balaam revealed that 
Go and have these, these, these young women that serve false gods. Let them go in to these young men. And it worked. They couldn't be defeated from without. God turned a curse into a blessing. But compromise, especially with these, these false gods and these, these, t- the temptation that comes through relationships, it worked. And it works in the church. The biggest things that have caused men and women of God to fall is falling from within. Not some outward influence. That's usually not how it happened. Verse 27. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Elishib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sambalat, the Horonite. Therefore, I drove him from me. So, Samballot was the father-in-law of one of Elijah's, the high priest, grandsons. So one of his grandsons had this Samballot as his father-in-law there and had compromised. This is against what God had told them to do. It was completely unacceptable. It already had caused problems before. And so it was, he says, I drove him from me. He lost his ministry. He lost his capacity for good to, be, to do good and influence God's people because of this, because he didn't come in and take a stand with his grandson, which in that culture especially, he had the power to do that. And he let that compromise happen. And because of that, he, was, he, he lost his, his the being a high priest and, he, and, and was banished. Now notice the switches in verse 29. He switches from remember me to remember them. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. See, that was a, that's what was at stake there. This covenant, to, to stay true to the covenant there, he defiled the priesthood, and it mattered so much. And these, again, these priests were the, the worship leaders for God's people. It was huge to, to God to have them lead people the right way and not lead them the wrong way and all of that. And I love verse 30. Thus I cleanse them, of everything pagan. Wouldn't it be amazing if President-elect Trump came in and said, I'm going to cleanse everything pagan. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stop there because there's a many ways I can go from that direction. But I mean, just we, we cry out for holiness from any leader. Holiness and, and just cleanse everything that's pagan out of our lives. Anything that's godless, that represents a false god. You know, in the New Testament... Paul in some of his letters, and even um, it might even been John, but one of them said the very last thing he says at the end of his book: "Stay away from idols." He's talking to believers now. He's talking to Christians. What's an idol? I mean, were they all in danger of having little statues? I mean, some of them, yeah. But it wasn't just that. We can have an idol that's something that we put before God. That's what an idol is: something that we elevate and put above God. It could be anything. It could be something great, a great cause. We could have a charity that we work with that, has, that helps the most neediest people in the world. And we give our lives over to that. And, we, and to do that, we disobey God and what he's called us to do. That's an idol. We can have a hobby as an idol. We can have entertainment or relationships or things that we are, are engaged in. Anything that comes before God is an idol. And he's not going to let any idols, it's not going to happen. We, we can't be engaged in idolatry as, as believers. We just can't. Continuing in verse 30, I also assign duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and, I, and to bringing the wood offering and the first fruits at appointed times. Remember me, oh my God, for good. Like He's like, still, look at what I'm doing for you. Look how I'm, I'm taking a stand. You know he's taking heat from this. You know, he was getting dirty looks. He was getting, hearing rumblings. He was, maybe people were yelling at him. We have no idea what was happening. And he's just saying, all that matters is I please God. You know, it's been said, better to be the fool in the eyes of man than, than a fool in the eyes of God. We have to please the Father. Jesus said, I always do that which the Father tells me to do. None of us can say that in this room. But we can increasingly grow in that and grow in our relationship with him and we have to just stay true to him we have to get out all the idols get all, our houses are supposed to be a place of refuge 
one place in this world we have control over in terms of what the influences are, we need to have those things be a place of holiness and a place that's free of all of that. You parents right now of children, be bold in what you say regarding what you can allow and what you can't have. You know, it's hard. All of us struggle with it as parents. It seems like we're always fighting to keep things out that isn't, that it, and it's really hard when it comes to things online, but we have to work extra hard. But not just for looking out for ourselves, but maybe we need to be recognizing that, okay, I'm not in a state of willful disobedience. I'm not backslidden right now. Yes, I need to grow. I recognize that. There's another part to this, though, related to walking true before the Lord, and it has to do with being available to help other people. I want to read a, a, a set of verses to you from Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. So we need to look at our own work, examine our own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in the other. For each one should bear his own load. So maybe this is something that, okay, we need to watch out for in our lives, but we know people that are struggling and, they're, and we need to be available to them and help them and restore them and be there for them. We can't make decisions for them. We can't make them follow Christ, but we can be available to be a mouthpiece for God in their lives to speak the truth to them and help them and help them see that even though they've gone 10,000 steps away, it's only one step back as it's been said. And he wants to use us in that way. God really, really cares about how our lives are lived. And, there, and those of us that know him, they're his lives. We, we belong to him. We've been bought with a price. And as you know, we're finishing this book and we're thinking about the next building that we're going to and all of that, and, the, and more, way, way more importantly, the lives that are going to be contacted or interacted with there at that place, he needs a core of people that are submitted to him, that are totally surrendered to him, that are ready to be a light to people because we are not preoccupied with our own willful disobedience and that we're ready to, to tell people the truth, help them have the right answer, pointing them to the answer, and be there to help them grow. We don't want to miss that's that incredible opportunity to be able to be the right person at the right time for the right people when the Holy Spirit's putting it all together. So I just think that's what he's saying to us this morning I know that, you know, all of us are growing and all those things, but we just need to watch those things and, and take these things to heart. It's been a great time studying this book. How many of you learned a lot of things you never expected to learn? Me too. Going through, it's beautiful just to go through it verse by verse. I'm really looking forward to what the Lord has for us as we start our next book. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for Nehemiah and his faithfulness, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would use all of this that we've looked at for your purposes in our lives. And right now, if you're here today and you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, first of all, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, just repeating after me the things that you need to say to him to receive salvation. And then we'll pray for another group. But let's see if there's anybody here. Is there anybody here you need to pray for salvation? You believe in God. You believe you've gone to church. Maybe you're religious and all of that. But you don't understand and you haven't understood to this point what it means to surrender your life to Christ. And it means that you trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross his death, burial, and resurrection alone to pay your way to heaven. And you've trusted in that in the past. And maybe you're wavering and you just want to receive Christ. And maybe you didn't realize what you had done before. Your heart wasn't in it. And now you want to surrender. And I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand now. Just want to see if anyone's here. It may not be here. There's one hand. Anybody else? powerful when the Holy Spirit's at work.
Just repeat after me out loud. And again, there's nothing, there's nothing in these words that are magic words or anything like that. He's looking at your heart. So if you can agree with these words, just pray them to God. Dear God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for, for me. And you were buried. And you rose again the third day. And I repent of my sin. I turn from, from the way that I've been living and I turn to you. I surrender my life to you. And I ask for the free gift of eternal life now. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let me pray for you. I pray, Father, for this young lady. I pray, Lord, that you would overwhelm her by your Holy Spirit and that she would really sense your power on her life and she would have a supernatural love for you and your word. And I pray that you'd raise her up to be a mighty woman of God. And I pray you'd, fresh, you'd fill her with your Holy Spirit and continuously fill her with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Now, also, I want to pray for anyone that wants to, you know that you've been further away than other, many people know, and you want to freshly surrender your life to Christ, I want you to stand now, and I'm going to pray for you. We're a family here. It doesn't mean if you're sitting that you don't want to serve Christ or love him or you don't want to surrender, but I just, if you need to make a stand right now, before your brothers and sisters and say, I'm going to stand and I want to, I want to rededicate my life to him. If you want to do that, I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you anyway, but go ahead and stand. Anybody else? All right, let me pray for us. Father, we just totally surrender our lives to you. Make us into the disciples you want us to be. Thank you for the privilege of living a different kind of life. And I pray, Lord, for everyone here, myself included, that we would continuously surrender. And we pray, Lord, that, that you would receive our, the cry of our hearts right now, that we want to be all that you want us to be. We want to be the disciples, Lord, that bless you all the time. We want to be growing. So we re rededicate our lives to you. We thank you for that privilege, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.